listening to the Alan Carter Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Welcome, welcome to the program, and thank you so much for spending some of your time with us this hour. I'm wondering if you are hungry, if you have food on the mind, and if ever you are in a meeting, you're doing something important, and then all of a sudden, for no particular reason, you just blurt out something about food while answering a question, like perhaps in question period today, when Ontario's Minister of Energy was asked about the cancellation of green energy projects and how much that's going to cost, and his response was thus. Well, I'll be a chicken fried and goose fat. Pardon? Well, I'll be a chicken fried and goose fat. Oh, well, that's interesting. Um, that sounds delicious and deliciously unhealthy. Now, is Minister Rickford somehow an influencer for goose fat companies? I mean, I know that would be a conflict of interest, but everything these days is influencer-driven. I just got back from a sweet three-day trip to New York, and I paid for it all on my own, like an idiot, like a chump. What I should have been doing is I should have been leveraging my platform and influencing, and perhaps I would have got a couple of bucks. Maybe I would have got, you know, a better rate on the hotel. Well, Metrolinx has decided that influencers are the way to go because the transportation agency for the province of Ontario has joined forces with a selection of Toronto area social media influencers in an effort to promote transit projects. Influencers, people, including some of those projects that the Metrolinx Corporation or Metrolinx, pardon me, is paying money for are are for things that aren't even planned yet like the ontario line it's just an idea it's a line on a map so metrolinx is paying 11 community-based influencers to post transit friendly photos and messages under the hashtag mx it's happening here's Anne marie akins who's the metrolinx spokesperson speaking on this radio station a short while ago about why they're doing this we started uh, three or four weeks ago with uh, to reach younger audiences, and in this particular campaign, we were looking to educate them about our GO expansion plans uh, throughout the region, um, but we're going to do other things like our, our LRTs and all of the work that's underway because people really, really want to know that progress is happening on, on, those, uh, on transit. They want to know what's happening in the future so they can make their good choices to where they live, they work, they play. That is Anne-Marie Akins from Metrolinx talking about why Metrolinx is paying social media influencers to tweet out positive things about taking transit and about things that are coming, coming soon, the Ontario line. You know, provided there's not a change in government and we change, decide to do it all over again and go back to the drawing board, because not like that hasn't happened repeatedly for decades and decades in this province and in this city. But back to influencers. You're probably asking yourself one question and one question only. You're probably not outraged about the spending of the money on the influencers. You're thinking to yourself, how do I get paid for that? How do I get in on, on some of this easy, free money? Money for nothing, as Dire Straits used to say. So how do you get paid to be an influencer? Well, according to some research I've done, preliminary, you need to focus on a niche. You find your niche. Then you share your knowledge, the things you know. You have an opinion. Be opinionated. 
you know, provided you're being paid to have a particular opinion, that's the one you have. Network, 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 and engage your audience. Now, you may recall in the recent federal election, Elections Canada paid roughly $325,000 to 13 social media influencers who were supposed to star in a campaign to boost voter registration. Oh, turned out a couple of them had partisan views. That didn't work out. So they canceled the thing, but they didn't get any of the money back. That 325 still out the door. Now, according to Vox.com, people with small followings, influencers known as nano-influencers. Hi, I'm a nano-influencer. You can make between 30 and 60K a year. Micro-influencers, that's a step up from the nano, you see. If you're a micro-influencer... 40 to 100K. Now, if you're a Kardashian, obviously you're in a different league altogether. You're a big celebrity. That's a different deal. But you don't have to be all that well-known, as you can see, to pull in a couple of dollars. Eric Mark Doe is a national syndication editor here at Global News, and I turn to Eric when we need to talk about things I just simply don't understand. Hello and welcome to the program. Hi, thanks for having me. How do I make the money? How do I get in on some of this cheese, Eric? <laughs> um, I, I think it's not as, as easy as, as it may seem. Um, yeah, people that are have influence online, they've definitely worked on their craft and worked on, like you said, on, uh, on their niches and are putting in, you know, hours and hours of time. Um, a lot of people equivalent to a full-time job to, uh, to build their followings and to build their, 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 their craft whether it be photography, videography, or whatever it is. And some people even pay, um, you know, invest in themselves to, to become an influencer, right? What do you mean invest in themselves? Get, like get tats or maybe some ear spacers <laughs> no. or something? Uh, maybe, but um, what, what I'm referencing more is, uh, you know, investing in their equipment. Oh, I or see. whether it's their, if they're a style influencer, for example, like buying all these outfits, um, or even traveling and uh, just getting these photos or, or videos from different locations, right? How many how many followers do I need before I'm actually going to be considered an influencer? Is there a number? I don't think there's a, a threshold that you have to meet. Um, I mean, if you meet what uh, what the company is looking for, then they might uh, you know reach out to you, even if you have a couple hundred followers, right? Uh, if, if you're an expert in that field or seen as an expert in that field. But so I, I think a thousand is a good good baseline. A thousand. Yeah. All right. Now is it I'm just I'm checking my numbers. My numbers are not great. Uh, my numbers are not good. Now so is this the way that advertising is going? Because you know, when we talk about traditional media, like you know, the thing I do every night at five thirty to six thirty where I'm on the television, there has been a stampede from advertisers away from traditional media to influencers, but then I'm hearing that, well, maybe they're not getting their bang for their buck, advertisers. Yeah, I mean, it's, when you think about it, when you wake up in the morning, most people aren't turning on the TV anymore, right? They're going on on their phones, they're scrolling through Instagram, they're scrolling through Twitter, uh, whatever it is, and that's where the audience is nowadays. Um, Well, especially for younger audiences, right? And so that's where the, the advertisers are going, which is which makes sense to me. 
Right. So when you're Metrolinx and you, you want to get a positive vibe, or I, I'm not sure if that's the correct word, if you want to get some sort of positive news or a positive impression, that this is the way to go. It's better to do that than to, say, take out an, an advertisement, you know, either in a magazine, I don't know if anybody buy magazines, or even to, even to place an ad online on globalnews.ca. Does it make more sense to do it with an Instagrammer than it does even on the online platform? Yeah, it depends on what audience they're, they're looking for. If they're looking for that target demographic um, in that range that is mostly on Instagram, then I get it makes sense to, to advertise on there rather than, um, I guess, like on a bus shelter. But you, I guess you can geolocate people better if it's, you know, like a poster on a, on a, a bus shelter or something like that, um, but probably reach a wider audience uh, online. Eric Markdo is a national syndication editor at Global News. Uh, Eric, are you hungry at all? Uh, sure, I haven't had lunch yet. <laughs> well, let me suggest something. Well, I'll be a chicken fried and goose fat. Oh, <laughs> that'd be good. Eric, thank you so much for being on the program. Thanks again for having me. Man, what is going on in Toronto Law University libraries? What is going on with that story? Two incidents now of feces and urine being thrown at students at Toronto universities, both at U of T and also at York University, at Robarts Library and York University's Scott Library. Detectives are looking to determine if the suspect is the same person in both incidents. I don't know if that requires some kind of testing of the material. Perhaps we'll just leave that where that is. The other big story today, of course, is pedestrian safety. This after a unusual police services board meeting last week in which the police chief had some rather controversial things to say or perceived to be controversial things to say about the potential uh, responsibility, the responsibility of pedestrians. I wonder if I can skip ahead to that. I want to play that for you because I think it grabbed a lot of people. This is Chief Saunders after Thursday's Police Services Board meeting talking about pedestrians and AirPods. Now looking at, like I said, the dynamics of the roadways, the fact that we've got bike lanes, uh, the fact that we have people wearing AirPods, the fact that we have so many different things that are happening, we have to have a collective effort. Is that victim blaming right there? We're going to get back to that issue in just a moment, but first, let's get more on Fleet Street, which has been closed now. The West Brown stretch of Fleet Street between Bathurst and another side street is going to be only accessible to pedestrians and cyclists, and this is intended to improve pedestrian safety in what is an extremely problematic area of the city. If you drive in through there, the road is huge. It's essentially a highway right in there, and you have, on one side, you have... Uh, Queen's Key, and on the other hand, you've got all of those condo developments. There's a lot of pedestrians in and around there, and that has become a real problem. Camille Caramali has been covering this for us this morning and this afternoon for Global News and joins me live on the line. Hi, Camille. Hey, Alan. Are you still standing at that intersection? Give me a sense of what it looks like. Yeah, well, I mean, it's uh, lunchtime now, so it's much busier than it was this morning when we were uh, here trying to gather reaction. And so, uh, you know, a lot of people are stepping out for their lunch break from their offices. And really, so uh, if you don't know, Fleet Street runs parallel to Lakeshore Boulevard. They run side by side to one another, and uh, it's getting really packed because people are trying to cross from one side to the other 
and they really have to cross two roads here uh, with traffic going in each direction. So you have one lane going down each way on Fleet Street as well as street cars going down Fleet Street. And then, not only that, once you get past that, you have to get through six lanes of traffic on Lakeshore. So imagine trying to cross this if you have kids, if you're a senior citizen, and, and you know, or if you have a stroller with you. Even if you're carrying a lot of groceries, it's tough. So that's what one of the biggest issues was about this stretch, is that as soon as you start crossing the street, the, the, the flashing hand comes up and doesn't let you cross. So a lot of people get caught on the island or are still trying to cross when it's a green light. Very, very difficult. And even now, we're seeing a lot of people come out and, and try to cross here. And, and they've said it's, it's a bit easier now. Camille, I know you spoke with uh, a couple of pedestrians who were talking about exactly what you're talking about, about the, the dangers just inherent with trying to cross the road in this area. Here's what some of them told you. Usually slower people only make it about halfway, and then it already starts turning yellow, and they run to make it across the next four lanes, right? So, so a lot of times you got cars that are honking because people are still in the crosswalks. It's quite often that you see damage to the center island, uh, to the uh, to the bollards there in the center island, because obviously somebody uh, coming uh, eastbound, or sorry, excuse me, westbound on the uh, lakeshore there has hit them. So quite often there's damage in that area, and there's certainly a lot of close calls. Yeah. Uh, the timing of the intersection as well is not good. You can't. You almost can't make a uh, a uh, single crossing all the way across Lakeshore. And especially tough if you're a senior, I'm assuming. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, seniors or small kids as well. Obviously, it makes a big difference. Those are some pedestrians talking about how tough it is to cross the road around Bathurst and Lakeshore. And this has resulted now in a closure of Fleet Street. I'm speaking with Camille Karamalian. Camille, I know in covering this, obviously we're talking about this one particular intersection, but I can tell you that living in Scarborough, there are sections of that part of the city that are as dangerous. So this is really just a small, small step. That's right. So, I mean, as you heard uh, from Chief Saunders, this is a a longstanding issue, uh, a much bigger issue than just Fleet Street here. Uh, which is about a 200-meter stretch. Uh, so, I mean, the, what the city has said is that they are planning on uh, really expanding Vision Zero as much as possible. Uh, you know, we have heard about, and I'm sure you're going to allude to this later, but an, an armband initiative by Toronto Police got backlash because they were trying to give, uh, you know, armbands to seniors, and, and really critics said, look, you're putting the onus on the seniors and, and uh, pedestrians here when really you need to change... Uh, uh, the the road structure, put more red lights up, uh, slow speed down. So uh, it's an issue in Scarborough. It's an issue here in, in downtown. And really, uh, there, what we heard from the city is that Vision Zero is going to expand farther out than Fleet Street. And actually, just giving you a little bit of a visual of what we're seeing now, here's another issue that we've seen all day today, Alan, is that people don't know that Fleet Street's closed. So even just now, we just saw uh, me right now staring at a car, driving down Fleet Street, looking me in the eyes, and I'm kind of just waving them back, telling them, look, uh, we can't go down here, sir. Uh, so, uh, you know, these, there's potted plants bro- blocking Fleet Street, but people don't seem to be getting the message here either. <laughs> so now you're actually directing traffic while you're uh, down so, there. Yeah. You, can you talk to my boss and see if I get paid? Uh, an upgrade to that? I believe that's probably... Yeah. Probably a union grievance, Camille. Exactly. I'll look through the book. Let's see if I can find anything in there. But are you seeing anybody? But seriously, are you seeing anybody wearing AirPods? Are there AirPods pedestrians? <laughs> no, no. Actually, I am seeing people wearing AirPods. Um, it, you know, seeing that the streetcar is one of the things that crosses uh, parallel to Fleet Street here in between Lakeshore 
and uh, fleet. Uh, a lot of people are waiting for the buses and, you know, people, you, obviously you listen to music uh, or, or, you know, uh, whatever. Or this radio to. program. Or this radio program. Good plug in there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, you know, if you're taking transit. So a lot of people, as they're heading towards the streetcar stop um, and are waiting for it, they're crossing with their AirPods on. So, you know what, Chief Mark Saunders, not too far off, I guess, uh, in, in his observation, at least. Camille Caramali is a reporter for Global News. Thanks so much for being on the program. Thanks for having me, Alan. Now, Camille talked about that uh, event over the weekend where armbands were handed out from uh, to seniors, and Scarborough North, North City Councilor Cynthia Lai was part of that and joins me on the line to talk about it. Hello, Councilor. Hello, everybody. Hello, hello, how are you? So the backlash to this was that this is victim-blaming. Your response to that? Well, it's nothing about victim-blaming. It's about raising awareness, being proactive to make sure that we can have safe roads and make sure everybody is educated, communicated, especially for some of these uh, most uh, uh, vulnerable seniors in my ward. And, uh, I mean, it's very, very well received. And uh, a lot of them, you know, we don't have actually enough. uh, It's just part of the presentation. We did a presentation before we hand out the armbands, and it was very well received. And I've got requests from some of the senior buildings that wanted us to go back there to do another presentation. Isn't this a ambience. isn't this somewhat of an admission of failure of city planning and of safety to be able to say, well, you know, here you got to everybody put on an armband because the roads, especially in sections of Scarborough North, Councillor, they're just simply too dangerous to cross, especially for vulnerable road users. Well, we cannot change the city's infrastructure, you know, road infrastructures overnight. And this is just one of the solutions that we proactively try to help uh, uh, everybody, you know, uh, in the ward to be uh, to be safe, pedestrians to be safe. And uh, especially, like I said, you know, some of the um, more vulnerable seniors where they, you know, they've lost their, you know, their, their eyesight, they, they cannot hear well. And, you know, they we, need, we actually, during the presentation, we teach them how to, how to, uh, uh, Better, you know, equip themselves and you know have eye contact with the uh, with the uh, um, the drivers and and uh, we you know we make them aware that you know as they age you know they may re- be responding slower and then you know the, I mean we just uh, try to educate everybody in in a proactive manner and try to make sure that uh, our roads are safe. I mean, uh, there's no this is just one of the solutions. I mean, we have so many other solutions that we can actually build into this uh, whole road safety uh, issue. And uh, But at the end of the day, if we can save more lives, and it's really a worthwhile initiative. And I wish people would put more positive energy into this and try to work together and make sure that our roads are safe. I, I think you make a great point there, Councillor, that you know, just doing nothing is not an answer. I, I wonder if you have... Uh, a response to the people who have thought that this was victim blaming or that this was not really an appropriate thing for police and for you to be part of well i mean if 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 we don't do anything as a ward counselor, I think we'll be blamed, so are we a victim you know we ask 
as local councillor, we need to uh, do whatever is appropriate for my ward. And, in you know, I mean, it's very well in, received in my ward, and people need to know where my ward is and, they, you know, what they're comprised of. And I, need, I have more requests now to do more of these education, and, and it's about communication as well. I have 45% of my ward, people don't speak English, and, uh, you know, and uh, that's why I made a motion on council in July that all the Vision Zero material has to be in different languages because, you know, there's no point communicating to people if they don't even, you know, they don't, it doesn't mean anything to them if they see a sign slow down. They don't, they don't know how to slow down, including drivers, you know. So basically, it's very important that we can, we communicate the right message to the, uh, to the residents so that everybody could be more safe on the roads. Toronto City Councilor Cynthia Lai, thank you so much for thank being you. on the program. Thank you. Welcome back to the program. I may or may not have been eating a cookie when they came back. This is the problem that we have here in the studio. It's over the noon hour. And I don't know, I want to play that thing from the Minister of Energy again. I don't well, know if I'll be a chicken fried and goose fat. I don't know if you're having that for lunch or not. But I'm having a cookie. Cookie, cookie starts with C. Have you heard what happened in Germany? German authorities are now on the hunt for two thieves after hundreds of millions of euros of treasure and jewels were stolen from something called the Green Vault in Dresden. Early Monday morning, two thieves broke into Dresden's Green Vault, one of the oldest museums in the world. They entered through a window, smashed a display case, and made off with three sets of diamond jewelry. And although police have not yet put a figure on it, German media speculate they may be worth hundreds of millions of dollars. The thieves are currently on the run, but have been captured on video footage. I'm Sarah Huckle, ABC News, Berlin. You know what that sounds like? It sounds like a scene from a movie. Here's something to keep your eye out. That is the worst news cliche in the world. If you ever hear a news anchor or a reporter say, it was like a scene from a movie, they're not trying, they're not trying hard enough. Am I right or am I right? I am right. Now, when you're at work and you're, you know, maybe you're discussing that, that heist, maybe you say something controversial about jewels, and the boss overhears it and comes over and says, you can't speak that way about cultural artifacts, you're fired. And you say to him, dude, free speech, I can say what I want. Uh, turns out that's not the case. And I think we all found that out again, and were reminded about that again with Don Cherry recently, to talk more about what your real rights are in terms of free speech when it comes to your employment. I'm joined by Andrew Goldberg, who is an employment lawyer and associate at Sam Firo Tamarkin. Thanks for being on the program. Hey, thanks, Alan. How are you? So just want mind your P's and Q's here, okay? Oh, Because I don't want you to go off on the handle. Don't go off half-cocked or fully-cocked, no cocking at all, <laughs> at all, please. Now, is it actually true that whatever you say can be used against you by your employer to terminate you? Well, the reality is that that is the case. So obviously with this whole Don Cherry incident happening... Um, I've been reading and hearing a lot that many people believe, wrongly believe, that the right to free speech gives them the right to say whatever they'd like without any consequences at all, and this is simply not the case in the workplace. 
So what do you mean by the right to say anything you want? I I know that in my own case, I have, I will share this, a performance contract with Global News that says if I do anything dumb, if I embarrass the company, that I can be dismissed. Is that implicit in everyone's, you know, employment? Oh, for sure. I'd say most definitely when you work for a workplace, uh, you know, you have to push the agenda of the company. You have to deliver on whatever it is they're set out to do. I mean, an employer would be far better off putting in an express policy in place like yours. I don't know if the exact wording is don't do dumb things, but you know, maybe it's implicit. It's implicit. Yeah. yeah. So I'm trying not to do dumb things every day. <laughs> I, I know. I'm really, I'm not that great at it, but so far they haven't called me out on it. No, no, you just do what you can. What are you going to do? So, but no, the reality is a company has the right, if they don't like what you're all about, they can let you go. If they don't like what you're saying and, you know, you say some things, I heard you mention earlier about uh, the jewel uh, heist in Germany. I, you know, I don't know. I don't hear that very often. But if an employer doesn't like certain things that are being said at work, they can they can let that person go. The question is that is, with cause though? Can't you no. just can't you say, hey, no, that's not fair, and take them to court? Exactly. So that's that's kind of the real question: is you know, is the termination does that amount to cause or not cause? So that's what we deal with every day here. Uh, it's very difficult to make out cause for uh, a termination. So if an employer simply doesn't like what you've been saying at work, it'll be a very high bar for that employer to terminate you for cause and then withhold your severance entitlements. Okay, so if we say the high watermark or low watermark, depending on your perspective, is, quote, uh, you people, unquote, from Don Cherry, that has been widely perceived as to be uh, at, at at best insensitive, at worst racist. If that's that, then if you move down that scale and you're saying something that the you know your employer says, well, I, I don't, I, you shouldn't say that, uh, and you say, well, I'm taking out of context, whatever. Uh, I mean, what kind of legal recourse do you have? So, you know, you could commence litigation against that employer if they terminate your employment and they say you know based on what you've said today or based on what you said last week and we've caught wind of we're terminating you for cause um and they try to withhold your severance entitlements you can pursue a wrongful dismissal claim and you know your entitlement would be your entitlement to your severance at any point an employer can let an individual go without cause uh, but the cost of doing that is to give them the rightful severance, which they should be doing in, in a case like this. Andrew Goldberg, employment lawyer and associate at Samfiro Tamarkin, thank you. We have made it through this interview, I hope, without causing any problems, without getting ourselves fired. I guess, yeah, I guess I'll have to talk to my boss after and see how it went. I'll circle back with you later. Thank you so <laughs> yeah, much. Appreciate that, Andrew. Again. All right, thanks so much. Welcome back to the program. An interesting discussion about the American Music Awards coming right up and whether or not Taylor Swift should be considered the artist of the decade. Controversial? Do you care? We're going to make you care coming up. But first, remember back when you were in biology class in grade 10, was it? Maybe grade 11? And they said, okay, time to cut up the frog. Time to dissect that frog. And you're like, this is gross. Well, A Florida high school science class has now begun to use synthetic frogs for educational dissections. The lives of real frogs are being spared at a cost of 
$150 per synthetic frog. It's a Tampa-based developer that has received funds from people from the ethical treatment of animals to help create Synfrog. Synfrog. They're made of water, fibers, and salts and can be reused. The people for ethical treatment of animals say 3 million frogs are killed for classroom use each and every year. No mention of how many frogs are eaten for their legs, but in the science class, synthetic frog, 150 bucks, man. I have got to get in to the synthetic frog business. Anybody hungry? Anybody? Well, I'll be a chicken fried and goose fat. Mmm, chicken fried and goose fat. Well, the American Music Awards were on last night. Taylor Swift has now passed Michael Jackson's records of uh, 23 AMAs, surpassing... Uh, pardon me, she went in with 23 last night, then she won a whole bunch, and then now she passes Jackson's 24 uh, win. So now she wins it all. Here she is performing Shake It Off last night at the American Music Awards. All right, that's enough of that. That is absolutely enough of that. And I'm a fan. Uh, Now, I don't know how you feel about that. When you start hearing things like artist of the decade, does that make you bristle? Megan Ray is a global journalist, global news journalist, pardon me, who joins me in studio. And Eric Alper is a music expert and journalist and joins me on the phone. Welcome to the program to both of you. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. All right, let's begin with you, Megan. Artist of the decade. Yeah. For reals? I mean, I think it's important to note, too, that the American Music Awards, they're one of the largest, like, fan-voted music awards shows. So I feel like, I mean, Taylor Swift has a huge it's, fan base. It's the army, though, is it not? Yeah, yeah. She definitely has an army behind her. And, I mean, she took home six awards last night. That's that's a crazy amount. <laughs> Eric, you, your thoughts? How do you how do you place her in the pantheon of artists over the last decade? Number one? Um, oh yeah, I would actually place her maybe in the top five artists of all time. Um, you know, when you talk about the great singer songwriters of of the last 30, 40, 50 years, you have to include Taylor Swift in there, regardless of what you think about her music. Ten Grammy Awards. She's been on the Time Magazine, Most Influential People in the World, three times. She has sold tens and tens of millions of albums in an era where selling an album really is that much more difficult these days. So, yeah, I would actually not even blink at the artist of the decade. The only person that could come close would be Drake. But other than that, though, Taylor Swift has the sales numbers beat by Drake. If, you know, if falling a little bit behind in terms of the actual singles release. Interesting that you mentioned Drake, because if we were to discuss Drake, would there be the same, if he was to get the award, would there be the same kind of controversy? And I point to an interview recently by Taylor Swift where she said, you know, she's judged on a, on a, with a different set of standards, perhaps because she's a woman. Is there sexism involved here in this controversy? As, you know, it, as Eric says, the numbers bear out that Taylor Swift sells more. Megan, is it sexism here? Um, I mean, I think there's definitely like a different standard. We, we judge female artists versus male artists. Um, I mean, Taylor has often been criticized of bringing in her, like, romantic relationships into her music. And um, I don't know. I definitely think that there is, you know, it is a factor for sure. Um, 
I don't know if that affected, you know, how, what she won last night or not. <laughs> I don't know if it affects what she wins, but I think yeah. it affects the conversation that we have. And, you yeah. know, Eric, to you, you think of some of the Drake lyrics and talking sure. about his relationships, and then you compare that with Taylor Swift's lyrics, and it seems to be an inequity of coverage over the two. There's certainly a different tone about the coverage. Oh, for sure. I mean, all you have to take a look at is how the paparazzi and media treat female celebrities and and female movie stars over male movie stars that they feel a little bit more intimidated. Um, You know, Taylor Swift has definitely put her lyric out there. She definitely has put the stories out there. But some of the media and some of the, the treatment that she has is absolutely you know, reprehensible when it comes to to the way that certain media outlets treat women as nothing more than than idiot gazes, really. And I speak in somebody who works in the music industry. Um, I, I, I think that she doesn't get as much of a fair shake as much as, say, her male partners do or male artists. Where I think, though, the line is crossed by Taylor is that, you know, the victimization that she continually puts out there, I think that when you become the biggest artist in the world, you're certainly the most successful. You make boshes of money. I think there's a certain amount of, like, maybe you don't have to post that snide remark or get the 100 million followers that you have to start hating on somebody. I think that with great celebrity and 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 popularity comes responsibility i think and not everybody needs to post about who's kind of you know rubbing you the wrong way today let's move then to another artist who often elicits strong opinions and that is post malone who picked up an award last night and performed with ozzy osbourne here is a little bit of the track that was performed last night That is Ozzy Osbourne singing on a Post Malone track that was performed at the AMAs last night. And it strikes me that this is a real attempt to stretch across some generations, Megan. Yeah, absolutely. Um, It was my favorite performance, I think, of last night. I loved, I mean, I love when, like, different genres come together, too. And I think it, you know, really appealed to, like, all different, you know, generations. For sure. Eric, uh, for a, an older generation, I, I know I was reminded immediately of uh, Run DMC and Aerosmith. Yeah, you know, Post Malone comes from a world where the iPod existed from the time that they were born. And that iPod gave everybody who had one the ability to listen to what they wanted, when they wanted, however many times they wanted, for fear of not being hated on or teased about having guilty pleasures. So Post Malone's mixing of pop, rock, hip-hop, trap music, disco, all of that stuff, we're going to see a lot more of when the genres that you and I grew up in, okay, Boomer, um, when, <laughs> when, when you and I grew up on are, are long gone when it comes to the next generation of music lovers of 8 to 15-year-old that have no interest in the dividing up of, of genres where Post Malone can absolutely do a track with Ozzy Osbourne and nobody bats an eyelash anymore. Is that right, Megan? Do you agree with that? There are almost no genres anymore. It's just all blurred together. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that for sure. Um, I mean, if you look at someone like Travis Scott, who also performed with them, he's kind of like he teeters a line between like rap and like also has some like electronic. And um, I think he appeals to a wide variety of, of listeners for sure. But yeah, I agree. 
Yeah, and Judicate, if you ever kind of, you know, think about it in this way, at the AMAs yesterday, there was only one rock act, and that was Green Day. And, you know, even though that they have a new single, the greatest crowd reaction of the night for Green Day was when they played Basket Case, a song that's almost older than, you know, most people listening right now, that's if they're not in school. But, like, the song is, like, 25 years old, you know? So it's one of those, uh, it's one of those strange, head-scratching things that immediately make you feel old when you hear that Green Day's Dookie is going to be celebrating its 30th anniversary very soon. Eric Alper, making me feel old. Eric Alper, music <laughs> expert, and Megan Ray. <laughs> Megan Ray with uh, Global News Online. Thank you so much for being with me this hour. Interesting conversation about music and how it transcends generations. And now, really, are there genres anymore? Thanks again for spending some time with me this hour.